deep in the heart of an ancient city. The Akasimi Palace stands as a testament to centuries worth of opulence and intrigue. Its long hallways are full of the whispers of the past. While it stands quiet today, it wasn't that way before. Forgotten royalty, unquiet spirits, are just a part of this place's dark history. A history stained with blood and secrets that refuse to stay buried. Legend has it that the palace's construction began in the 16th century, commissioned by a powerful ruler whose thirst for power knew no bounds. As the empire thrived, so did the stories coming out of al Palace. Stories of unspeakable rituals, occult practices, and ghostly apparitions spread like wildfire. And while some people believe it was due to a curse, and others believe it was due to forces beyond our comprehension, Nobody knows for sure why the ruling family simply disappeared. We don't know for sure what happened. We never will. But when some of the reports currently coming out of there are that faces appear at the windows, it makes you wonder if someone is trying to tell the story. I'm Albie Robles, and I want you to scare me. Ryan Thomas LeBee is an author, writer, and filmmaker. I first saw him on TikTok doing some great horror reviews of different books and movies, and I thought he might have some interesting stories. Turns out, I was right. My name is Ryan LeBee. I'm a writer, photographer, filmmaker. I do a little bit of everything. Right now, I'm, my day job is freelance writing, video work, and a stay-at-home dad. I think people are drawn to horror. Uh, in the same way that you're, you're drawn to like uh, theme park rides or something, it's scary, but it's a controlled scary. You know what I mean? Like you get to express those anxieties or fears in a way that is controlled. And at the end of the day, you know, hey, I'm not going to get hurt, uh, but there's something primal and there's something evolutionarily. Um, I don't know. I think we're just wired that way. It was probably one of the first things we ever learned in the wild, you know, humans is to be afraid to run from that. But, you know, in a controlled environment, uh, it's just good fun. I don't know. My love for horror. I've, I've been trying to pinpoint that exactly. Like, you know, I feel like if you're a writer or you're an artist or someone who is introspective and tries to look inward on yourself a lot, sometimes you start to rewrite your biography and you're like, Oh, I think it was this point. Oh, I think it was this point. Honestly, don't remember a time when I didn't love horror. My, my mom is a big horror fan. She let me watch uh, Silence of the Lambs when I was way too young. I don't know what she was thinking, but I saw that really young. And uh, Child's Play. Child's Play was probably, probably like my first real introduction to horror. And uh, I was terrified of Chucky and that the doll was going to get me. And my mom would, this is not good. Uh, I don't recommend parents doing this. My mom was a very young mom. She was a teen mom. And she would threatened me with the Chucky doll. And, uh, at some point, yeah, yeah, it was bad. I don't recommend anyone doing it, but at some point I stopped being afraid. I don't know. I, I started to like not being afraid. It just, it was a comfort thing. I don't know. I don't know when that turn was, but, uh, Chucky is now like my, one of my favorite 
go-to, you know, horror icons. So that doesn't entirely answer the question of where my love of horror began, but I imagine it was probably somewhere in there, something to do with my mom. I love the horror genre across the board. Um, I would say my love for horror, it's at least the way I remember it at, when it comes to like literature, probably started honestly with Goosebumps and R.L. Stein. I, I started with R.L. Stein. He was probably like my gateway to King because, you know, they call him like the king for kids. And uh, but, so, but then that led to Stephen King. And then, no, I, I branched out from there. I, I read, you know, I, I try to go back and read some of the ones that are classics. Like I tried the H.B. Lovecraft. He doesn't really work for me. He's not, he's a little too, too dense. I, I love the world building of an HP Lovecraft, but the writing itself is just not for me. Uh, but I went back and read like author Machen and some, you know, Robert M. Chambers, you know, the King in Yellow, all, you know, all the classics that everyone says you need to go back and read Frankenstein, uh, you know, Mary Shelley. Some of my favorite writers right now are um, Stephen Graham Jones is incredible. Oh my God. He's a phenomenal writer. He's someone I'm like really onto right now. He's kind of blowing up more recently, but he's been writing for probably 20 years. He's got such a back catalog of horror, but most recently the one that really blew up was uh, my heart is a chainsaw. He's a native writer and he wrote like a love letter to slasher films. And uh, it is so good. And I cannot recommend that enough. And then his other novel uh, before that was the only good Indians and it, it's incredible. So he's great. I'm trying to think of some other ones I read. Um, Paul Tremblay. He's, he's great. Head full of ghosts. I'm also a writer. Like I've been published a few times. No, no novels yet. All short stories. And uh, I write horror. That's just where my heart's at. Paranormal experiences for me. Uh, I have a couple memories of them, but I have a weird relationship to them like part of me doesn't know if they're real or not if i was a kid dreaming but i do have one that sticks in my head that i've pretty much convinced myself was me dreaming but what might be more interesting maybe is that my mom uh, again everything leads back to my mom my mom is one of those people that believes every ghost story she's ever been told she's had every sort of paranormal thing you can imagine happen to her and one of the most just bizarre weird stories that she told me as a kid that always stuck in my head, always frightened me. Um, and it's not, it's not like a long, crazy, weird story. It's just so odd that it stuck with me forever to the point where I've written it into a story of my own. She was telling me how one evening when she was a little girl, she was probably like three or four, she was in bed and she shared a room with her older sister who was about five or six. Um, they, sharing, they were sharing a room together, and in the middle of the night, my mom woke up, and she looked to the wall, and there was, as if there was a window, there was just this spherical hole in the wall that she could see through, and on the other side was like this old Victorian room, and there was an old woman there with a baby, and they were just staring at each other, and that her sister woke up, and she looked at you know my aunt and was like, do you, do you see that? And she's like, yeah, I, I do, and they both experienced the same thing they they saw through this dimension i don't know what you'd call it, like this dimension or something and she she's convinced of it that it happened and they both remember it and it's just the weirdest thing i have ever heard in my life and that always freaked me out as a kid locally very close to where i live there's a town called windyville and uh it's supposed to be this paranormal hub for scary scary things and i, I stumbled across it actually in high school I don't remember what I was doing. Oh, I do. 
Okay. I do remember. I was in my senior year of uh, high school and there was a college fair. And uh, so I went to this college fair and at the college fair were this group of people that were with the college of the metaphysics. I don't know why they were allowed to be at a college fair because it's not an actual college. It's just an off branch of some sort of religion, but they were there and they were trying to recruit people for their religion. And they handed out these pamphlets and I was reading it and I I was like, what is this? This just seems all very bizarre. It was like dream interpretations and all this stuff. And I turned the pamphlet over and on the back, it says location, Windyville, Missouri. I didn't, I've never heard of Windyville. So I, I Googled it and like all this information, like early 2000s websites of Windyville, the most haunted place, you know, in Missouri, come and visit. So I did what any senior in high school would do. I got all my buddies together. We got our camcorders and we're like, we are going to go ghost hunting out at Windyville. So we go out there and there's not much left of this town. It's like a four-way stop. There's an old general mill. It's falling in one down one you know, dark road is this giant dome that is the location of this college of the metaphysics. And, uh, all the lights are on. You can hear them like chanting or something. It was my memory of it is they were like in there chanting and my buddies and I are recording all this and we're like, what is going on? So we drive up and we're stopped immediately uh, by this man. And he's like, you can't come in. If you would like a tour, you can come back in the daytime. We're like, okay, fair enough. So we leave and we just start driving to all these locations that we had found online that were supposedly haunted like there's an old bridge where a woman supposedly fell off or threw a child in we had all these hot spots but we never really experienced anything before about to leave town we go back to the four-way stop where there's this old general mill and i don't advocate anyone doing this but i was a dumb teenager we went into the building there were you know the windows were busted out so we go inside and so me and my buddy are in there kind of scoping the place out and uh as we're in there this car pulls up and he goes, what are y'all doing here? And he, you know, he basically threatens us, tells us to get out of the town, get out of town or, or we're going to call the cops. So we get out with pretty much no, no scars. Nothing really happens. We never saw a ghost, but a few years later, this basically became like lore in my family about Windyville. Like Ryan went out to Windyville and they went into the, they didn't see anything, but they went out there. So I was visiting uh, with my brother-in-law probably like 10 years later. And I'm telling him about my trip to Wendyville. And he's like, you know, we should go out there again and see if we can find anything. I was like, you want to? Let's just go. So we get in our cars. We don't tell my, like, we don't tell anyone where we're going. We just left. It was like a 30 minute drive from where I grew up. We get out there, no cell reception. It is the middle of nowhere. Uh, so no cell reception. So we're coming up to that four-way stop. And as we're getting to the, you know, the four-way in the middle of this town, this pickup truck comes out of nowhere, this giant white pickup truck with all of its windows blacked out. This truck is riding our ass. And uh, I'm like, go around, go around. And he doesn't, he just rides my ass until we get to, so as you pass this four-way stop, there's this tiny one lane bridge. You, it's real small, only one vehicle can fit. So I pass it and I slow real slow and I'm like, go around. So the guy goes around and as he goes around, I became a hothead and I gave him the finger. And the guy slams on his brakes and <laughs> parks right in the middle of the road. And now I'm like stuck between this truck and this small bridge. 
And uh, this dude jumps out of his truck and he just throws his hands in the air and starts walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> I'm about to be one of those guys that's on like a Mr. Ballin. I don't know if anyone knows who that is, but like a Mr. Ballin episode where I made one bad decision and this is it. And I look over to my, my, you know, my brother-in-law and I'm like, what do we do? And he's like, I don't know, man, I'm not going to fight him. He goes, look up there. And we, we look through and just through like the, the black of his back window, you can see there's another guy sitting in the truck. I'm like, yeah, I, this is freaky, man. So I just threw up my hands like, yeah, it's all right, man. So he drives off. That same town, just like probably last year, this was a big news, like headline sort of thing. Um, there was a, two guys who lived not far from where this all happened that I've been telling you about um, who had kidnapped a young woman and uh, had butchered her, put her in their freezer and they were found because this woman went missing and had been gone for like six months. And uh, when the cops went to their house, they found her body in the freezer. And the way they found her, this is what's wild about this whole story. So the way they found her is that these men were posting ads on the black market to try to find buyers of cannibals to eat her body. And someone, saw the ad on on the black market or the dark web i guess that's what it's called there was a photo of this girl who was missing in a cage and they forwarded it to the fbi and the fbi went out there and it became this big thing in this little bitty town windyville uh these men supposedly kidnapping women and uh, selling them on the black market on the dark web not a ghost story but it's a weird one a local folklore that i will tell you that is pretty fascinating i'll just throw it out there it's not even that crazy or that weird i feel like every town has this we have a cryptid here in missouri that people swear by uh for anyone who doesn't know i I live uh close to the ozarks uh in missouri and the local legend is that we have a a a bigfoot type you know creature named momo (laughs) and it's just this large hairy sasquatch like creature but the big difference is It's got this pumpkin shaped head and glowing eyes and somewhere around the seventies, apparently there was something in the water because that's where everyone started having these sightings, you know, across the United States and, and our big claim to fame is Momo. And it's always bothered me that it doesn't get more play or, uh, you know, I think it's like Oregon has, or, you know, anywhere in the Pacific Northwest has really adopted Sasquatch. Like if you go up there and visit, everything has a Sasquatch and it's like this real touristy kind of trap thing. And nobody uh, totes that around here. I think I'm gonna have to bring that back. Momo. All right. Uh, yeah. So some plugs for me, honestly, you can find, you know, I, I do a little bit of everything. I, you know, I got my TikTok. It's pretty big. It's doing pretty good for me. Um, but you know, what I actually do is filmmaker, photographer, writer, and you can find links to all my work at O, o like, Oh, wow. Like O H that T H A T Ryan.com. It's not the greatest. (laughs) I should have probably came up with a better website. Just my name would have probably been best. But uh, you can find all the links to everything that I do on there. I also, uh, I started and manage a horror magazine called Pyre Magazine, which you can find online. And if you have a story or art you want to submit to it, uh, please do. Do you want to try to scare me? If you've had or have heard about a paranormal experience you'd like to share, or if the area you live in has a particularly scary legend or lore, I want to hear it. 
send an email to scareme at albirobblesvoice.com. Scare Me is produced by Albi Robles Voice and features original music by Adam Clifton. Additional sound beds are provided by Stephen D. Voiceovers. You can follow us on social media. We are Scare Me Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For voiceover booking information or to inquire about having your own podcast produced, go to www.albiroblesvoice.com. <laughs>